when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is Austin Walker, again, coming to you from the bunker. Still in the bunker. Uh, joining me, Patrick Klepik. Not in the bunker, in, in the, the, the outskirts of Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago. Where are you? I thought those are interchangeable terms. Are they? I guess. Because, like, in... So I spent some time around Toronto uh-huh. uh, for the last few years, like, before I moved back to New York. And in Toronto, there, there's this whole thing of, like, there are people who are definitely living in the suburbs who will tell you they are living in Toronto, even if you live nearby. Even if you, like, know that they are in the burbs, they will tell you straight up. They're like, oh, no, this is a neighborhood of Toronto. And it's like, no, no, it isn't. Like, that's not... <laughs> That's not where you are. No, that is. Shout out to all my people in Toronto. It is. That is definitely a thing. So I, uh, I parse the description of where I live carefully, uh, which is to say, if I'm talking to someone who is familiar with the geography of Illinois uh, or lives in Chicago, I definitely do not claim to be from Chicago. Now, granted, I've lived in gotcha. Chicago, but in my terms of my current geographical uh, residence, I do not live in Chicago. Now, if I'm talking to someone that doesn't understand Chicago, I do say Chicago, not to brag about being in Chicago, but because no one knows what the northwest suburbs of Chicago are. <laughs> sure. Who who could? Who really I, I, could? I still don't. I still don't. How you doing? Welcome back. Uh, you know, we don't have a name yet for this no. to all of our listeners. People have sent some stuff in. Most of it is along the lines of the things we said, like, Hey, we've had the idea about two scoops. We believe me, we've been there. We we obviously are taking a lot of inspiration from from uh, scooping in the or bombing in the AM with scoops and the wolf. But we kind of don't want to go that same route. But some people have told me. Someone this morning on Twitter was like, "I have a good name, but I need to I need to email it to you." Oh wow! I was like, <laughs> "Oh shit, that name is going to be dope!" Like, I can't wait to get that email. So, but how have you been? Uh, I've been good. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's uh, another week. We are closer to theoretically having stuff happen on this website. Uh, it's true. It's uh, even though I'm still in the bunker. Even though yeah, we should give people still... an update on yeah. Screw uh, where I live in relation to Chicago. We want to know where you are in relation oh to the previous location that you <laughs> podcasted out of. I'm still right up against this cabinet that my microphone is leaning on. Um, it's it's so after the last one, we were like, we have got to book a better VO room. Like, all right, good idea. That was VO room A. Let's book VO room B. It's a better room. All right, cool. Go online, book VO room B. Turns out A and B on the website are not A and B in reality. In reality, A is staging and B is A. And... <laughs> That means I'm back in the bunker. Um, I also I also looked at the other room that I could be in right now, and it's smaller and still doesn't have a desk. So I think I may, this might be preferable to the other VO room. To be clear, we're, we're not in like a po- I'm not in a podcast studio. I'm not no, in our no. our future Twitch studio, which is still being set up. I'm in like I'm in a VO room where people would like come in and do voiceover for a, a newsreel or for a video or for or for something else. Like this is not. You're meant to be standing, not leaning over a laptop. Yeah, you're, yeah, and uh, yeah, you're not supposed to be recording a live show. Uh, when <laughs> on the plus side, on the plus side, I I thought to myself last night. Listen, I know that one or two people mentioned that they heard some bleed over from your audio into our audio, and I was like, I'm gonna bring my good headphones that are that are like you know clamshell like like cans, so that you can't hear that that bleed over. Uh, and then I forgot them this morning. Good and good. came in and was like, oh fuck. And I talked to the to the guy who runs the VO booths here. I was like, do you happen to have any any like decent headphones? He's like, yeah, totally here. So I'm using those, and there's no sound in the right ear. So we are, <laughs> you know, we are not a startup, but 
I think we are evoking the feeling of startup of the the best parts of uh, of startup culture, not the worst parts, which are like vulture VCs and throwing money at the wall until something works. Like we're not doing any of that bullshit. We're just trying to make shit work right. I feel like this podcast is slowly deconstructing people's uh, internal narrative of Vice Media as a company. <laughs> well, listen, like I, totally, but like it's always people. It's always just people doing shit and like trying to pull stuff together and and trying to like find two threads and turn it into a rope. Like that's that's what building anything is going to look like at any level. There are some problems. Like we have had this not problem, but we, we've kind of had this realization on the website building side of things, which is like hey, there are some problems you can't just throw money at. There are some problems that it's about, like, staffing the right people or it's about, um, you know, uh, spending the time testing something on the back end. Like, we were looking at the new CMS for our new website last week, Patrick. We kind of, like, got to, like, go in and play around a little bit. And I dumped one of your your articles. You wrote this great article. Maybe this was two weeks ago now about the um, the guy who has rebuilt the uh, kind of No Man's Sky in Doom. Not in New Doom. In original Doom. <laughs> Uh, and there's this bit in it where you say like, oh, um, this is what taking, uh, landing on a planet looks like or this and it's <laughs> yeah. a gif and then, and then, or this, and then another gif. But, but, but after, or this was an advertisement for a Viceland show that, that included the tagline, Dr. Smoke Weed. And it was just like, here's a picture of a spaceship fl- flying to a planet. It looks like this or like Dr. Smoke Weed. Like, yep. Good. Good. Everything's working. Like you have to spend time to make things work. Sometimes you can't just spend money, you know? So, so, uh, we're, we're spending the time this, this week and, and last week and all month really, where we are both putting in a lot of work right now. Uh, yeah. And in fact, uh, you know, you, uh, uh, it is a rarity, uh, these days and it'll change as, as the site launches that we, uh, actually get Austin Walker's byline, uh, on, <laughs> on Vice Gaming, but you actually had uh, a piece That's go true. up this week uh, that you've been working on for a little while. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I, I interviewed Charles Webb, who is the senior writer on Mafia Three. Um, for people who have been like following me for the last for the, for a while, obviously I've had thoughts about Mafia Three since it was announced, and I was like, huh, maybe they're going to do something here. For people who don't know, um, you know, the Mafia series has been running for probably a decade now, one every few years, maybe more than that. Um, it was a PS2 game, is that right? Well, so Mafia started as a PC series. Um, oh, was it only on PC? I think I played it on like a PS2 originally. Anyway, so it's been a game that has been about the Italian mob up until now. And like it has taken a perspective on the mob that has always been a little less. I think the first one was pretty straight up and down like, oh, it's Godfather. Um, yeah. But in two, you were definitely like playing middle of the middle of the pack, kind of like middle rung soldiers who didn't necessarily climb to the top. It wasn't it wasn't Vice City. It wasn't Scarface. It it wasn't like this is the rise of these these guys inside of crime. It was just like you're you're thugs for this group. Like you're gonna get some jobs done and you're gonna do some mundane shit. It was a little more like Sopranos than than uh, Godfather or Scarface or something, right? Um, and so with three, the setup is that you play a uh, black dude uh, named Lincoln Clay who is a uh, Vietnam vet who's come back to a kind of fictionalized version of New Orleans um, and has joined up with the black mob to make some money to pay off a debt that he owes to, I think, think I think to the Italian mob. Um, and ends up doing some work with the Italian mafia, becomes friends with one of their, with one of their, like the, the Don's best, or the Don's son or something, and then everything falls apart and he gets betrayed and then it becomes this pulpy revenge story where... Lincoln Clay and this kind of like multi-ethnic group of other organized crimes groups in fictionalized New Orleans go after the the Italian mafia and try to push them out of town. Um, and they've made race part of this from the jump. Like his blackness has been front and center and the fact that he's black or biracial like is emphasized in early trailers and then i got to play it about a month and a half ago and i wrote those impressions up and i talked about that over on the giant beast cast um and a a big sticking point for me was that there was an enemy bark in which they so there's a bunch of enemy barks in which you're called nigger because because that's a thing that just happens a lot um you know it's like the niggers over there we got to go shoot them these are italian mobsters talking um and then there's specifically a voodoo doll uh 
weapon that you can throw that doesn't do any magic, but Lincoln Clay, who is an expert in psychological warfare, <laughs> this is what I was told, understands that the Italians are superstitious, which Seem- is its own, mm. its own whole mm. can of worms. Yeah, let's, let's, let's put that one to the side. Open that. Let's put that one to the they're side. They're Catholic, I guess, I, you know, and, they're, and, and so their response to that was like, it's that nigger voodoo, or it's that nigger magic, like, look out. <laughs> um... Uh, and so that was a big sticking point for me in that not that not that having racist characters is innately a, a bad thing or an offensive thing. It was just a thing that was like, ooh, I'm going to sit here and play this game for 22 hours or whatever, hearing my character called a nigger over and over and over and over again. And not in in targeted ways, right? Like not like in The Godfather or in The Sopranos or in um, uh, what's the what's the film that Tarantino wrote but didn't direct? Oh. Um, True Romance. Yes. In, in True Romance and that great scene with Christopher Walken where like, oh, like this is something very specific is happening here with race. Uh, just kind of like, oh, random random enemies are just going to say well, It's idle constantly. NPC chatter, the, the sort of thing that in yes. any other open world game you hear a billion times and then becomes a footnote in your review that says, well, that got tiresome over time, but we just kind of uh, tunnel out uh, or, or tune out. It right. becomes white noise. And it's, it's one like, thing for white noise to be, and this is funny because white noise white noise <laughs> I, I realized that as I was going to using that as my analogy gonna, but uh, yep. you know it's it's something you end up filtering out uh, because it's supposed to be sort of ambient uh, to, to yes. the world it's just sort of meant to fill in uh, uh, and not necessarily something that you're supposed to consciously be too aware of but that is very different when you have uh, you know someone just yelling idle things so that there is noise around you um, when they are invoking uh, uh, you know uh, very targeted uh, strong racial terminology um, especially uh, given that you can presume that there will be some segment of the audience uh, that is going to have right. a deeply uh, emotional and personal reaction to that because <laughs> you know it, it has uh, or uh, either affected them or, or people they know um that's very different right, and, like, and normalizing uh, it's, it's, that is is own set of weird problems right and that wasn't my, my point at the time wasn't like oh don't do race stuff right it was, totally hey, be really thoughtful and and like you're 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 awesome for trying to do this i hope you figure out how to balance all of that stuff right you know like there's Sometimes those those enemy calls can be really memorable and hilarious. Like I think I think the new Hitman does it really well. Um, everything that every NPC in Hitman says is hilarious and great. Um, or like even in in the Splinter Cell Blacklist, where I, I think it was Blacklist, maybe it was maybe it was Chaos Theory. We're just like complete. There was a great Kirk Hamilton piece about this. Was, they were just so amazing and bad and goofy. Of just like where are you at, Fisher? I'm coming for you, Fisher. Like just the most absurd great thing so there's ways to do it in 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 ways that are more than white noise um but i had concerns about this and so i reached out to 2k and said like hey i know that there is a writer uh of color i know there's a black writer a black queer writer on this game who's a senior uh, writer a senior too writer, not, not, not senior just, writer yeah. like not right he wasn't just writing radio dialogue or not that that's like a, a bad thing or whatever but he was at a, he was at a point in the process and, and at, at a level where his input was about the, the kind of larger story that was being told, not just the little bits here and there. Um, and so I was like, I would love to sit down with him and like talk to him. He's also someone who I followed on Twitter for a year or two now, maybe more than that, because he's also an ex-critic, an ex-journalist. He'd written for Nerdist, he'd written for Paste when I was still writing for Paste, um, and had written about race a couple of times, right? So the, I was like, oh, I would love to be able to sit down with him. And I sent that note expecting a no, right? Like, Hey, I want to talk about race in depth for 40 minutes with your senior writer is not a request that PR companies get a lot, and it's not one that you see done. You don't see that conversation that often because it's a minefield. Because well, because from a, a PR perspective, you you wouldn't you wouldn't blame them for saying we don't want to touch that because if. There are a few ways for it to go right and a lot of ways for it to go wrong um, in which someone who stumbles over their words uh, or, or says something uh, inappropriate, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that creates a right. cascade of headlines that – uh, you know, does not help the game, which I think the game comes out next week. Uh, like it's, it's yeah, coming it's out very the soon. Seventh or something. Um, right. Like, so if that had gone poorly, boy, bad timing. But at the same time, uh, you know, what you would hope is if this game uh, is going to invoke this, if this game is going, you know, despite its pulpy nature is trying to, uh, 
takes some measure uh, uh, of race seriously in terms of uh, how it's ingrained into its story and how it's presented, um, if they can't talk about that in a meaningful way, then then maybe the whole premise of this video game is flawed in a way that people should be aware of going into it. Uh, so right. there's... Well, and, and- and there's the thing here is that like it's there are other conversations that people have before games come out all the time in which they beat their chests about authenticity. If you're making a World War II game, you get out there and have those interviews and you say that you consulted with experts and you read books and you watch documentaries. If you're making a sci-fi game, you get out there and say, ah, oh, Asimov and Clark and Gibson and here are all the greats. We read all the greats. We're trying to evoke all these this great history and this great this great genre. You know, if you're making it when, when you know, Ubisoft was making Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, they got out there and talked about the history of piracy and oh did you actually know that pirates had this whole culture of that was kind of libertarian it was all about freedom i didn't like, know that austin those, uh, that's yeah me either until i read the press release <laughs> like that's the that's where i get my news right and so there is definitely you know I, I can imagine someone responding to this interview and or even to this whole the whole game and saying oh is this just the fact that is this just race becoming something that you can sell um, in a kind of cynical way. But talking to Charles was talking to Charles really affirmed to me that they were invoking it with thought and were doing the research and were trying to address not just the time, but the, the issue more broadly than that. You know, like this was an interview where a developer came out and said, like, of course, it's a political game. You can't make a game about race set in 1968 that isn't a political game. I have to uh, say uh, it was remarkable uh, to read an interview in which um, both the uh, interviewer and the interviewee uh, were in invoking the N word. Right. Like that was yeah. like that. W- w- what? I, you know, I, I read through that. And I, you know, it, you know, it was. Not being, you know, said casually, it was being said, you know, with intentionality as part of the the, the conversation. But like, that's not, <laughs> you know, what I mean, that might be the first time that's happened. Like, that literally might be the first in time games. that's happened. It, well, I bet it's seriously things. Like, I'm so sure it's happened inside of YouTube interviews between independent developers and black YouTubers. Sure, I'm sure it's happened on blogs that we've never seen. Um, but like, uh, I'm. I'm not trying to fucking toot my own horn, like, but I'm happy that I got to have that conversation. Totally. That's really what it comes down to. And I, I also, I think that it's okay if, I want them to hit the mark, right? Obviously, like, I'm desperate for them to hit the mark. I am not confident that they're going to hit the mark. I, I obviously think that they want to, um, but they could still totally drop the ball on this, right? The voodoo gives me pause. Um, the voodoo feels like a canary in the coal mine. Yeah, totally, totally. How could it not, right? Um, so, you know, the at the end of the day, like, I, I feel like this is a step towards something, at the very least. There is this bit from Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, obviously, this is the dude I am, I just have this at ready, um, about progress. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's from two different pieces, but I, I keep this literally on my phone so that when I'm thinking about what progress looks like in cultural spaces, I can... I can remember that it's not always a huge step. So I'm just going to read this. Uh, He writes, Coates writes, but this is what progress always looks like. Progress is not the practice of those in the business of sweeping success. Progress overawes, but its work is slow and grim. Progress waits on people to die and more enlightened people to take their place. Progress works even as the unenlightened abound, but find their ranks thinned and their positions exposed. Specifically, democratic process is not revolution and it can never be the gospel of people who measure success by complete victories achieved in singular lifetimes. Instead, it is reserved for those who are unrelenting in struggle, patient beyond their mortal coil, and willing to wage wars across generations. If you will allow me to express this by analogy, I will say it like this. Moving from the, quote, marrying your daughter phase of the struggle to the how come there's no white history month portion is exactly how progress works there is still racial disparity though nowhere near what it was but more importantly progress has meaning progress is not an end point when you say we've made progress you you are not saying we shall now disarm you are saying we have won some battles and for me like that's why i'm excited about being able to have that conversation with charles webb a senior black a senior writer who was black his twitter profile says senior and then in parentheses black writer on (laughs) mafia 3 which is like you got to have humor. You have to have humor about your own self and your own situation. Uh, senior black writer on Mafia Three, um, like that's it's not 
racism ain't over in video games now that there's a character a, a black lead in in this game um but it it feels good to be able to say like oh here is a game in which i got to talk to a writer about systemic racism directly and he had answers that were researched and thoughtful and weren't just and i didn't just get the impression that he had those answers and him alone but that was something that the team had thought about along with trying to make like a dope crime thriller a, you know a cool pulpy revenge story like and there are examples of that working so so we'll see it's out next week i'm excited to to, to dig into it um we'll see we'll see there's a lot of video games coming out in the next couple of weeks what else are you what else are you excited for uh, well, I'm I'm downloading Gears of War four in the background while we record this. Uh, which I I don't know if I'm excited about, but but I will probably play because I haven't played one in a while. But I don't. I've heard good things. I've heard good things. Yeah, I just you know I, I I've been disappointed with how Microsoft has approached uh, sort of the the way they pivoted their 360 franchises to the Xbox One, um, in which they you know they gave Halo to you know 343 and they've given Gears of right. War to uh what are they called now are they Black Tusk now or was that their yes, old name Bla- or they were Black Tusk and now they're you no know, they're the coalition mm, they're the, right they are the coalition or they were the coalition I don't know they are the coalition I think they, they are, are the, now coalition. the coalition uh yes. and and you know I, you know I don't want to prejudge Gears of War 4 too much because I have not played it in any pre-release capacity uh, but but just you know my gut reaction to how it looks um and and what uh, the approach was for uh, Halo 4 and 5, you know, was developers sort of just uh, aping what already came before and making another one of those as opposed to doing something dramatically different and putting their stamp on it. And that's what I worry right. about with Gears of War 4 is that it will be a, a perfectly fine Gears of War game, but did we need another one of these after four years or whatever it's been um, when maybe they could have taken the series in a different direction or just done a new IP uh, entirely? Like, I mean, I, I found Halo 4 and 5 to be profoundly disappointing for for lots of reasons that are beyond just how repetitive they feel um but uh, that has been at its at its core one of my disappointments with both of those is that you know uh, i look at what sony is trying to do with god of war um and and yes it's it's retaining a lot of the the spirit uh like you look at the new god of war for for ps4 and it certainly looks it still feels like it has the spirit of a god of war game but they're trying to reinvent it for themselves so that they they're making something interesting um and i've talked to plenty of people who worked on that game that said if they were told by sony to just make another god of war game uh they would have just walked away they would have allowed someone else to do that um and it feels like with halo and and gears of war um that, that they were they're just making another one of they're those. making sequels. They're yeah, they're making not, sequels. Right. Uh, they're not sort you of like the Gears it. of War. <laughs> you know what? If they did that and then did something radically different, I think that would have been interesting. But we'll see. It could be totally fine and and fun and and interesting. Uh, I, I'm curious. I mean, to this see. is always the this is always the weird difficulty here. Is like what happens when someone like on one hand, I love innovation. Like it is the best. To, like oh wow, this is a brand new. I I love innovation. Is the most venture capitalist thing I've ever fucking said in my life. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the manager class now. This get a t-shirt, a t-shirt I, made that says I love innovation. <laughs> God, fuck. So I, but I do love it when new games come out and try new things. Like I, or, or even when they, you know, when you reboot a franchise and take it in a new direction, 100%. But I always find myself forgetting how much I love a well-executed version of something that is proven. Totally. Um, like again, thinking about Hitman this year, like it's still just a Hitman game with some gimmicks, but like. The core of it is so good that it holds its own, right? Um, so we'll see. Maybe maybe Gears 4 will like hit the formula in a way that is really impressive. I think the prime example for what you're talking about, uh, for me, it was actually Dark Souls 3 this year, um, which sure. is a, you know, Dark Souls 3 is just a straight up iteration on, you know, essentially from Dark Souls 1, 2, 3, and 2, it kind of skips over 2 in a, in a lot of ways. But, but it's, there's, you know, if you look at Bloodborne, uh, versus uh, Dark Souls Three, mm. like you know, Bloodborne is you know is doing what I what I want like Gears of War Four or Halo Four to do, which is to take you know the core DNA and then twist it in a way that feels uh, it's what what you loved before, but slightly different, so that it feels new. Um, whereas Dark Souls Three uh, is is just more of that Dark Souls. But uh, what I always have to keep in mind is that for different people, they have that franchise where that's just okay. Like, they could release... I, I've always compared Dark Souls ever since I sort of, like, fell head over heels for the series that if they just released a Dark Souls game every year that 
got progressively less interesting, but was still just more Dark Souls. Like I would be okay with that. Like now, I'm not okay with that on an intellectual level. Like I, I would step back and go, "That's bad." I wish they would make one of these every three years and do it really interesting and take their time. But if you gave me a Dark Souls game every year, I would happily play it. I would enjoy it because the core, the way that game works on a core level, makes me happy in a way that other games don't. And so I try to remember that with even as I complain about Halo 4 or Gears of War 4, that for some people, that series is probably that for them and that they're just happy there's another one of these because that core loop is something that makes, they, they just enjoy. Um, and, and Dark Souls is kind of like that for me. Right, totally. Um, so there's, a, there's, there's something else you've been playing this week that I just want to hear really briefly because you, you wrote about it yesterday. And I didn't, I think only through talking with you and through watching GIFs did I understand why it was cool, which is a game called Cluster Truck. Yeah, um, yeah, Cluster Truck, if I was to give you the premise, um, you would, would probably bore to tears. Like, oh, it's, an, it's a platformer, like, um, cool. from an indie developer. Like, that's, there might not be a faster way to make someone fall asleep in 2016 um, <laughs> than, than to give them that premise. But, uh, you know, the, the, the twist that Cluster Truck has is you're, you're, it's first person, um, uh, you're jumping from sets of trucks to other sets of trucks. Um, the, the tweak that it does is it sort of invokes what uh, Surgeon Simulator, um, Goat Simulator, and some other games have done, which is that it uses physics um, in a way to both uh, sort of uh, embellish it with comedy uh, and to uh, uh, make the experience uh, sort of just different each time. Um, right. And, and the, it's just a tremendously fun game like I, I i you know as i wrote in my uh in my piece on it uh it's difficult for games to make you laugh when they're not being intentionally funny you know like whether it's it's a cut scene uh or something that's like uh controlled by uh the designers or the writers uh in an environment that uh allows them for you to witness something that this is funny you should laugh at this uh whereas cluster truck um is sort of this like uh, new take on what comedy and games can be, which is sort of this relationship between the design and the player that creates comedy. Um, and, and physics are, 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 an, are an interesting way to do that, where in Cluster Truck, um, just you can't be quite sure what happens. And often the game will actually, uh, you know, it, they have set up sort of like these levels uh, that you're playing through, but the physics mean that it might play out slightly differently every time you play it as you're trying to make your way to the end. And it also means that the physics might... Uh, function in a way that makes the level impossible to finish often. Um, and I would say that actually happens more often than you would think, where it just starts and you go, I can't finish this. This is bad. This is a total nightmare. <laughs> but it's it's but it, the way that that chaos plays out is so ridiculous uh, and, and so fun uh, to watch that uh, you feel like you're part of the joke and you're a player that is participating in that joke that uh, it becomes uh, not frustrating to watch that chaos play out. It becomes sort of the reason you're there. Right. Um, and and so I've been having a lot of fun with that this week in a way that I, I did not expect, um, and I would definitely recommend uh, people check it out. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a story up on the site, again, vice.com slash gaming. We are getting closer. We are getting ever closer to having a different URL soon. Not super Patience. soon, but soon. Yeah, so, yeah soon-ish. So, like, like so, soon sounds like it could be, like, really later this year, and then, like, soon-ish is like... You know, soonish. Soonish. So one story we didn't have time to write about this week, though, is what's happening with No Man's Sky over in the UK. Yeah, uh, the <laughs> the Advertising Standards Authority, which is a group over uh, in Europe that uh, essentially fields complaints from uh, the public uh, about advertising and then uh, launches an investigation. I'm not fully aware. Is it, is it like, in what Europe or is it in the UK? What is the what is what is their jurisdiction? That's a great question. Or what are they? What are they able to do? I, that too. I don't. I don't yes. really know. Let's see. Oh, here we go. Let's see. Eurogamer, who actually did their homework and actually wrote a story, can explain. Uh, it says uh, this is from uh, Wesleyan Poole over at Eurogamer. Uh, he writes: uh, The ASA has the power to have advertisements it believes are in breach of its code of conduct withdrawn and prevent them from appearing again. If an advertiser refuses to comply with an ASA ruling, it can impose sanctions, such as asking internet search websites to remove a marketer's paid-for search ads. Uh, the investigation is ongoing, and so the ASA has declined to comment further. But one of the complaints revealed details of its response in a post on Reddit. The investigation revolves around No Man's Sky 
Sky's Steam store page, which includes assets some believe misrepresent the controversial space game. The ASA has contacted both Hello Games and Valve and asked them to respond to a raft of questions related to No Man's Sky's advertising. Uh, so yeah, this story is essentially like an evolution on the backlash uh, mm-hmm. to uh, No Man's Sky that, that basically began as soon as the game launched, uh, in which... People felt uh, the game that was promised was not the game uh, that was uh, delivered. And uh, further fueling that backlash has been uh, complete and total and utter silence from Hello Games uh, in terms of how people have felt about the game, what the future plans are for the game. Uh, You know, this in, in the, what is it, maybe a month and a half since that game came out. This would normally be the period where you would have someone, uh, some sort of spokesperson out there saying, we understand people's concerns, we have plans, here's when the first, you know, DLC, free DLC is rolling out. Like, this is normally how this sort of damage control process would work in which you would try and regain control over the story and reestablish trust with your players. And instead, it seems like Hello Games has taken the approach that my gut tells me that they are working on an expansive uh DLC package that won't right. cost anything and that they their uh, viewpoint on how to handle the situation facing No Man's Sky is to, rather than to do what I just said, which is normally where you do go out and do the marketing spin um, and, and try and tamper the story down and change the quote-unquote narrative, uh, that they're, they're probably just going to show up with a crap load of content and be like, look, this is what you wanted. This is what the complaints revolved <laughs> around. Here is more stuff for you to do in this game. But in the meantime, in that vacuum... People are doing things like this, and the Advertising Standards Authority, you know, their you know their job is to respond to the public. And I just don't, you know, I've seen a lot of developers talking about this on Twitter, in which they feel deeply concerned about the precedent that this might set, or if this is a precedent or not, or if this is a one-off fueled by an incredibly hyped game yeah. that has probably had uh, the the largest backlash we've seen to a video game in a number of years, um, but. Video games do change. What is shown in advertising and promotion uh, often is not what actually ships. Um, And should developers be held accountable for that? How should they be held accountable for that? You know, there's been complaints for, uh, you know, the better part of 15 years ever since the introduction of uh, CG. You know, was it uh, (laughs) misleading for Square Enix to promote Final Fantasy VII back in 1996 with uh, CG cutscenes that were not what the game looks like when you actually play it? You know, like that's. It's a really complicated question. I am so torn on this. Like, partially because I really enjoyed No Man's Sky. I'm I'm that dude. I'm the dude who, like, I pretty much knew what I was getting into. Like, I, a year before No Man's Sky came out, was, was, I'd say, like, 80% on point for what that game was in my head. Um, The majority of how I spend it anyway. And so, like, oh, yeah, I really enjoy it. Uh... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And so, like, there's a there is like a, a primordial part of me that like clenches up when people are like, "No, like this isn't the thing. This isn't the thing I was promised." And I I do my best to push that part of me down and not be so defensive over a thing I like, which is a thing I think we all could do better at. Um, and try to see where they're coming from, or try to imagine the scenario here, which is that the thing for me that's so. The thing that makes this complicated is that they are keeping the complaint to the Steam store page, which was like the smartest rhetorical tactic you could do. If you talked about everything from six months ago or 12 months ago, if you talk about the initial video from from uh, the the VGX awards or all the interviews, all the interviews, that's all up in the air because that's like, of course, things change. Of course, things change. Like, and also I'm, an interview isn't an advertisement. Exactly. An interview is an interview. Exactly. But the second that you say, okay, 
is what's all is what is on the store the Steam store page is that in line with what the the game's release was that gets way more complicated because then we do get into the question of like how do we sell games to audiences what does a screenshot promise what does a video promise um, and that is if I was a developer is very scary because like every developer every publisher especially every PR agency has made sure to cut trailers that show the best side of their games all advertising is about curation and not necessarily deception, but certainly selective uh, curation. <laughs> selective right? editing. Selective editing. You want to show the run in Dishonored or in Titanfall of someone like doing a cool slide and then popping up and stabbing somebody or doing a backflip kick, right? You don't want to show. It, you, you, you don't want to show how we actually play it, which right. is like quick saving every every ten seconds. <laughs> right, and messing exactly. It up. You want to show big, smooth gameplay moments. You want to show really fantastic vistas that on a, you know where you where the player and the camera turn slowly to reveal the entirety, the entire scope of this broad city. You don't want to just see someone like running around in circles, which is how people actually play games, right? Like quickly moving the camera all over the place. So there's already that in every bit of advertising. So if you were an advertiser here, I could see why you raised your eyebrow. Um, but then there is still that part of me that is like, when I look at these screenshots and I think, okay, is the game, did the game give me this? I still feel like, yes, but that's such a personal claim, right? Like when I look at this beach screenshot, which is one of the ones on the Steam page, which is just like a beautiful beach with, with ships passing overhead and, and like autumnal leaves like yeah i haven't had that exact experience because that's not how the game works but i've had similar peaceful moments like that uh you know i haven't had huge battleships fights or whatever but like i've seen battleships and i've flown past them and like that's not (laughs) enough if that's the game you thought it was going to be and they could have done a better job earlier making it clear that's not what the game was but i can't say for sure that like that's I don't know. It's such a complicated issue. I don't know. And and also, I get the impression that uh, when I can't speak for the people who filed these complaints. I you know I can't uh, speak for uh, you know I found No Man's Sky to be incredibly disappointing. I played it for about seven or eight hours right. and put it down. And uh, my intention now is to wait until they build it out a little bit and and maybe there'll be more uh, meaningful reasons for me to play it you know my my response to no man's sky was it it actually so the the flip to you where you sort of got the game in your head that you wanted um the moment i saw this game in person for the first time with the the giant bomb crew at e3 uh, i remember Vinny and i walking out uh, and going i feel like this game might not might not be the game i want and i'm already disappointed which is to say (laughs) That's not the game's fault as much as I like directed experiences. Yes. You know, I like structure. Um, it's There's a reason uh, I don't care for Minecraft, but have a deep amount of respect for what it is and uh, and and what's possible with it. But I wanted, I always wanted Minecraft with a story and, hey, go do this. Hey, right. go build that. Um, whereas the, the, the beauty of Minecraft is that it doesn't do that, right? Like I realize that is uh, diametrically opposed to what, sort of makes Minecraft Minecraft. And I looked at No Man's Sky early on and saw this is going to be not quite Minecraft in space, but it's philosophically in that direction of just, yes. here's a bunch of stuff, go go find what makes you happy. And I was like, what makes me happy is you point me towards the cool <laughs> stuff and then I enjoy it. And, right, you and want that's them to just, add a waypoint to the map that says like, oh, this is where the cool stuff is, I want to go there. Right, like, right. And, and so, you know, for me, when I quickly discovered that the story that was uh, what appears to mostly be bolted on to No Man's Sky to give it some kind of mm-hmm. structure. Um, you know, the fact that it's made optional at the beginning of the game, I think probably says <laughs> yep. a lot about how that was conceived or how late it was conceived. I don't have any insight into that. That's just my guttural reaction to it. Um, but uh, it just becomes clear. And, you know, I asked plenty of people like that were like me. They're, they're like, hey, is it worth like doing a sprint to the center of the universe? Like, is it going to be profound and interesting? And is that a good way to play the game? And they're like, no, it's not. So I said, okay, maybe this either isn't just for me, or I need to come back in a couple of months and like see reevaluate it there. Um, but uh, f- maybe you know, I just it's hard to know like if someone filed this complaint where their headspace is at, or maybe because the fact that Hello Games has been so quiet about the status right. of this game, how they're going, all they've done is issued patch notes that often don't even explain what the patches are doing, which is one of the most infuriating things. Yep. Like, I, it, I couldn't, it, it angers me. 
like so much when a developer issues patch notes and doesn't explain what's changed, especially when you have a, a game that is otherwise uh, the developers are being incredibly uh, quiet about what's happening uh, with the game. So I think for some people, while this might, I do think this is probably a one-off. I don't think this is really a, a precedent-setting uh, thing. I feel like this is more. Uh, players have very few avenues in which to express themselves yeah. and their displeasure. And this may be an extreme way to do that. This may uh, uh, make a lot of developers nervous, and I understand that. But I can also see the perspective of some players who go, well, what else am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, uh, and and this is one option. Um, I think so in like, a, in a I, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm glad this option exists. Theoretically, like, like on paper, yes, of course. Right. Yeah. Like, it's about finding the test cases. And obviously the thing, the truth of reality is the test case, the cases that appear are often not the test cases that make the, the, that kind of can prove the thing out one way or the other. Right. Like it's always this murky middle ground where it's like not full deception. It's this other thing. Or when it is full deception, it's super easy to be like, no, this shouldn't be here. And then steam pulls it. It doesn't have to get to this level where the law gets involved. You know, it just gets to be, uh, the, it's so obvious that, that it's pulled from the shelves. It, it's, it's everyone understands and is on the same page or it's clearly not deception. And everyone, you know, the majority of people are like, no, calm down. But this is at this weird middle ground where it's not necessarily active deception. I, I don't picture Sean Murray and the rest of the people at Hello Games like twirling mustaches like, haha, we've tricked you into playing our not Minecraft in space. Like that's not <laughs> um but I but I do think that the other thing here is that it's the procedural generation thing, right? Which is that they they which is this whole other like ball of yarn, this whole other like mess because it's it's did they produce those assets or did those assets were those assets generated through the same algorithm that would generate a planet you know in that game like if they touched it and handcrafted it does that make it deceptive because it's not the way the majority of content is in the game right like if it's like the it's like if you were selling uh, a, a movie that was that was uh, put together by a robot like that was procedurally put together except that the trailer from the movie was cut by a person who who actively decided where to to cut the trailers and where to and shot the scenes and all of that but said like oh this is basically what the robot will do <laughs> like is that a step too far um it's really fascinating like i i don't really know where i come down on this quite yet uh and and i think that it's it's a case that i hope bears fruit like i hope we get to work out some of these questions in the in the proceedings yeah presumably they have to respond i just don't know if that response becomes public in any manner that gives us resolution or if if uh, you know the fact that this exists means that hello games will feel you know that they have to go on the offensive a little bit right. more and kind of talk through um like I just keep waiting for the Sean Murray tell all, right? Like that's going to happen yep. somewhere. Like some outlet is going to have an interview where Sean Murray goes, I'm sorry. Like, like deep <laughs> it's breath, going to yes. happen at yep. some point. Do you think that they're being quiet because talking so much is kind of what got them in trouble to begin with? Yeah. Like I just don't think it you know, I, as much as I can, you know, say how this usually goes, I think they're probably uh for the long term health of the game they're probably making the right decision to just do the work and come forward with what they think people want as opposed to like saying I'm sorry while it, it feels good, right? Like it's a good headline. Like it doesn't actually address the fundamental problem, right? right. Like if the fundamental problem is sort of a lack of content or uh, a feeling misguided about the content that is there, you know, saying they're sorry about their PR strategy or that they're an indie studio that maybe should have had a little more guidance and not get thrown under the bus by the company that co-opted their game <laughs> for a number of years in terms of marketing. Uh, I don't know if that changes anything. You know, again, like it, it's a good headline. We would talk about it. They would get a bunch of pats on the back. Yeah. But if you're a fan of the game, I'm not sure that that doesn't really change the calculus for you. Right, so. right. Uh, All right. So well, be curious. I'm. 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 I remain. F I, I will say this. Uh, I'm glad No Man's Sky exists. Yeah. I think No Man's Sky, if nothing else, the reactions it has provoked, the conversations it has drawn out, have been worth that game existing, um, regardless of how you feel about whether it's good or bad. Yeah, I can get on board with that. So uh, here we are. We should. We should. We should probably go to uh, the most important segment now. Yeah, it is. Listen, we don't have a name for the podcast, but I have a name for the segment. 
which is <laughs> your your offhanded name that then I said that's funny and then it became enshrined in <laughs> as a I just name. opened up my our doc here and I had I was like oh, I need a place to put the questions that people are sending and so I started pasting them in and then I wrote on top of it I just hit hit you know command B to go into bold and I wrote question bucket and so now we're going to pull a question from the question bucket Patrick give me a number I know what you're okay. thinking I could yeah. I could pick a question that's related to the topic we just had Mm -hmm. so that there's a nice transition so there's a good segue i could build that out into the show instead i want to say give me a number from one to 15 we got more than 15 15. questions i just haven't had time to put more than 15 questions into the bucket every week i'm adding more questions to the bucket but would you pick okay all right let's see one to 15 15, let's do it i'm trying to think if there's like a um what was like a good year in my life, like that I that I really enjoyed? Well, yeah, of I those think. birthdays, which birthday did you have that was the? Best? I'm gonna go with uh, the first E3 that I went to, E3 uh, '98. Uh, I was 14 years old. Um, I went with my dad. Uh, he flew out there, had to go with me. I had an underage badge for E3, a thing they do not have anymore. Uh, but back then, you could get a pink badge that said "Underage Media." Uh, when I worked for Gamers Online with a Z. Back when it was cool, it'll come back. Give mm. it time. Uh, so I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with 14. That's that's my lucky number. All right. So this comes in from Santiago, who just says that uh, uh, he is from uh, Latin America. He says, "I have a question that's been haunting me for a while. As yet another indie Uh-oh. developer releasing his first commercial game, I feel like I have to do everything I can to make it make a success of my title, with, uh, at least a possibility. I'm from Latin America, and I couldn't help but notice a, a couple of things that got me thinking." Steam allows uh, you to put any name on the developer field, even if the company doesn't legally exist. <laughs> I haven't checked into that. Uh, we're not saying this is from Santiago, not from us. So I don't know. Maybe that's true. That's interesting. Uh, on the other hand, the iOS App Store requires some paperwork and legal company, and that's why we see real names on there so often. Mm. I recently noticed uh, myself not downloading apps because the developer is from a place in the world where where I have doubts about the legitimacy of the game. I'm paraphrasing here because I don't want to sure. throw shade. Um, I know for a fact that some, if not most, Latin American developers hide their nationality because they fear it's going to affect the reception of the game or the pre- in the press in some way. Uh, hmm. Some even go through the trouble of registering a company in the U.S. and or using fake American names in their emails. Um, some well-known games that most people probably don't know that they were developed in Latin America include Kerbal Space Program from Chile, Xenoclash from Chile, uh, Guacamele from Mexico, Kingdom Rush from Uruguay. Uruguay. Uh, on the other hand, when Orion Legacy of the Coriodon was released, everyone mentioned that it was developed, uh, he says in South Africa, but I'm pretty sure it was not in South Africa. I'm pretty sure it was in um, Cameroon. Um, the setting was obviously a reason for this, but I couldn't shake the feeling that some of the game's faults were somewhat forgiven because of the developer's nationality, even on the coverage that we did at, at Giant Bomb East, uh, that I helped do on Giant Bomb East. Strangely enough, um, these games were also developed in, in, in I don't know, again, I don't know if this is in South Africa or not, but Broforce and Viscera Cleanup Detail. On a side note, uh, Russian and Japanese games are often uh, lauded for their quirks and appeal to certain audiences. You hear this a lot with like, oh, East, this game is from Eastern Europe. Oh, this game is from Japan. Keep in mind that the U.S. is the biggest market by a gigantic margin. It's almost certain a game will fail uh, if ignored there. So the question is, do you think the nationality of developers can affect the reception or success of a game? I think the developers of an indie title should at least be on the Steam forums answering a couple of questions. Should I hide my identity? Use an alias? What would you recommend to someone in my situation? Sorry for my English in the long email. I wanted to give some context for the question. Your English was totally fine. Thank you so much for the question. What do you think, Patrick? I th- couldn't you have picked an easier question? No, this is it. This is what we're doing. Let's fucking roll up the sleeves and dig in. Talk about nationality and game development. I mean, am I going to say that I don't that uh, people probably don't judge when they go on the App Store or somewhere and they see a game from China and wonder if that's just like some weird ripoff of uh, a game that they might otherwise enjoy or like? I, like, does that play into it? Probably. Um, I don't know how much of that is conscious. I don't know how many people actually pay attention to that yeah, I, I think most people use it like the app store is designed so that what you do is you go oh yeah that looks good let me hit this button now i have it on my phone let me pay some money like that's often the the whole thing you know um I, often i find you know if i'm at least speaking from my own experience that i find it if i'm looking to see where a game you know was developed uh, or the, um the nationalities involved i usually find that fascinating like i like i will play any almost any game from Russia 
uh, right. because th- they have developed some of uh, some like just really fascinating games, like other cultures and their takes on uh, games. I always find really interesting, um, you know, and it's why uh, you know the one of my favorite game series is the Metro series, uh, you know, which is uh, developed by 4A Games, who's uh, in uh, Ukraine, uh, and they just have a different take on mechanics and storytelling. Um, so for me, I always find that to be like a bonus. Like I, I find uh, the fact that if it's made somewhere that I'm unfamiliar with, that's a draw to me, but I have not heard of, like, I guess the way, the reason I'm having trouble responding to is because I haven't even, it never occurred to me that there would be developers that would hide where they're from because they're afraid or it's been proven that they would, it would impact their sales or the reception of their game. And so this person uh, like this might be, <laughs> it's already turning in my head. Like this is like an uh, like an interesting story to write about if this is true. If this is right. a pattern where people are hiding their identities because there's a perception that it will impact player interest. I'm just curious what what exactly that drop off is. What is driving that? Like do you like do you have any sense of what that might be? You know, I, I think that sometimes it's so. I think two things. First, it it, it can be the fact that if you're trying to appeal to a broad American audience and you're coming uh-huh. from outside of an American context, like you have a, a secondhand understanding of American culture and American English and all of the that stuff. And sometimes in a trying to produce a game for an American audience, there can be translation errors or localization, not errors, but the localization can can be noticeable in a way yeah. that that can set some players off. And unfortunately, those players can see that and go, oh, this game is cheap or this game is not high quality or something mm. like that, which is not right. the case, right? Like, at all. Um, so that's, that's one thing, I think. The other thing is I just wanted to speak about the notion of, like, the national character of, of certain games, which I think is just... It's, it's one of the reasons that that's so fascinating is that it can reflect material contexts really well. We just ran that piece last month on um, AM2R, the uh, the Metroid 2 remake um, that uh, a, a team kind of led by one one dude in Argentina um, made. And one of the things that that was that came up in his uh, story and the story about him was that growing up, um, most of the games I think came in from Brazil and were super expensive because video games were part were considered games and games are considered gambling. And so there was like a hundred ah. or two hundred percent tax on every video game, which meant that you grew up mostly playing bootlegs and renting games. And so that gives game developers there an entirely different understanding of what games are like. The same thing happened, you know, I've read um, from, or, or it was, I think it was in an interview um, with the founder of Clay Games, whose name is escaping me right now. Do you remember his name? Um, the guy who... who oh, uh, Jush. I wanted to say Nels Anderson, but he's a designer he's that a went designer. to work at Campo Santo. Correct. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up while you... Uh, Jamie Chang. Jamie Chang. Yes. Um, has spoken about, uh, you know, growing up, I believe in Hong Kong, meant that he mostly played weird, like, ROM hacks and, and stuff. And that, oh, knockoffs. And knockoffs. So he, uh, like, was immediately thinking about games. And, and he played hundreds of games because you would just go to a shop and, and spend no money for hundreds of games. Um, and, like, games in different languages. Uh, and that's really fascinating because it... it impacts his game design um you can you can kind of make the same cases for things in in eastern europe where like it isn't just like oh there is a culture of making people just decided that our aesthetic is going to be really obtuse and like heavy uh simulation things and lots of menus like that comes from a place and a culture and a context um and i think that just having that disconnect for a lot of players is difficult it's like it's the same reason lots of people don't get into foreign film, and it's not just the language is different. It's that, like, oh, there's a different aesthetic at work here. And and for players like you, for players like me, for lots of players, that's exciting. Like, oh, man, like, wow, their their take on what a first-person shooter is, it feels different than what I get out of Activision every year. Um, but for some players, I think that that's just not appealing like that's you look at something like xenoclash which is so out of the norm and i don't know that it's that it's from latin america that would keep players off it's that it's not <laughs> it's like just, games from the from triple a studios that are mostly in the west or or yeah, in, it's, Japan, it's the, in, that, in that case their design aesthetic right. which is informed by 
where they grew up and the games that they played informs it to be something very different. But the player, if a player has an uh, abnormal response uh, to that or doesn't like it, it's not because it's from there. It's just because it's different from what they're used to that is coincidentally because the player and the designer are from different regions and how they grew up and understood you know, aesthetics and design. Right. It's like uh, just music differs so significantly. It's a lot like music to me in that in that, you know, what obviously there are lots of music is worldwide and it's often driven by uh, the American music industry and all of that. But like if you listen to to the music that's happening in Poland right now, like I, it probably reflects a long history of Polish music, right? And and uh, often Polish interpretations of Western music, Polish interpretations of, of older Pol- Polish music. Like, that happens everywhere in the world. You know, you look at the history of music in Japan and Korea, and, like, yes, obviously you can see the American influence there, but J-pop and K-pop and, and you know, J-rock and, and K-rock, like, those things have their own aesthetic uh, uh qualities and their own their own kind of conventions and so you can either be the sort of person who like hears that stuff and goes like oh wow like this is really cool i i have the i almost have the training to understand and appreciate that i think about that a lot like how we are trained as as you know young people to to develop certain palettes and certain tastes like when when i see someone who is older recoil from rap or electronic music or something the thing uh, there's a lot at play there. There's a lot at play there. But then I think about my experiences as a young man, as a as a boy, listening to rap and pop and rock and classic rock and classical music and jazz. And like, oh, wow, right. When I was nine, like I had this huge buffet of sounds to listen to. And that trained my ear so that I could enjoy all of these different things. But like if you just didn't, if you didn't grow up on that stuff and you haven't put the time in as an adult to try to tame your own ear so that you can understand and enjoy that stuff like of course you're not going to like it it's the same for anime it's the same for movies it's the same for food obviously like we're talking about palates and like if you didn't grow up eating spicy stuff you're not at 32 going to suddenly like spicy stuff <laughs> you're just not like you have to slowly work it's, it's so much there. harder right it's you so have to harder. like you have to put you have to put in a lot of personal work to yes. to grow that palate to appreciate it and as you get older as you uh, you know, you have less free time, you know, you tend to side into the things that you like, uh, as opposed to the things that are hard. And that's like a totally understandable thing to do as you get older. And so, you know, that's why it's so crucial early on to try, you know, hopefully have either through, through what you do yourself or through, uh, you know, the people that are sort of introducing, uh, and expanding your palette that they do so in a way that you're kind of set up for the future that you can be interested in a lot of different things. Cause I mean, that's, you know, to, you know, I've certainly shared this story before, but, uh, you know, my dismissal of games like, you know, I played Dark Souls and Spelunky and then just threw them away. You know, they, they just struck me as masochistic games for uh, <laughs> people that I just didn't, I just didn't understand. I was just like, I don't know who this could possibly be for. Like, why would this be fun? Um, and I constantly used the term uh, masochism in a way that uh, was essentially a pejorative um, uh, and casting shade on people that enjoyed those games because I just, I just didn't get it. I just didn't. Those are not games that I usually found myself attracted to. And uh, so, in in a modern context, uh, I just. It just didn't make any sense to me. And then, uh, you know, when I got around to actually putting the time into Spelunky because I made it a feature that I did every day at Giant Bomb for a couple of months. And when Dark Souls 2 was coming out and I was jealous that everyone was into Dark Souls and I didn't get why I wasn't into Dark Souls. And then I played Dark Souls 1 and I put in the hard work of allowing myself to understand and appreciate those games. But that took a long time. That's like, you know, that took dozens of hours in Dark Souls. It took, you know, 50 hours in Spelunky before the light switch goes off and uh then i i had that appreciation and which is why you know something like dark souls is now like i said could be my call of duty um but that's not something that i could have said uh you know 10 years ago right um, and that's just a matter of my palate changing but to to put in that work um you know i'm fortunate enough that it's my job you know <laughs> it's not <laughs> the case for a lot of other people yeah exactly i mean to that point like i don't think that this developer needs to hide their their nationality i hope not like you think about something like cluster truck which we were talking about before like where do you know where those devs are from off the top of your head right now not a clue they're from stockholm they're from sweden and like sure that i don't know that it reflects a particular swedish context of trucks crashing into each other and you jumping on them necessarily i mean the aesthetic could be slightly portrayed as ikea-ish sure you know what (laughs) i take it back 
That game is the Ikea. We're, you know, listen, we're not going to do the Dark Souls of blank here. We're going to do the Ikea of blank. And that exactly. is the Ikea of, of trucks crashing into each other. Exactly. It's, it's, I, it's so tough because, because it's easy for us to sit in this booth in these, it's easy for me to sit in this bunker and say, no, don't, you know, your nationality should be a point of pride. You shouldn't worry about this at all. But like, I'm not the guy making the, making the game who needs to pay his bills. And so if this is a, a person who has like done that research and talked to developers in their community and those developers have said, oh yeah, like I released, I released this game for a while under this name and then I changed it to this name and I did better. Like, man, that's. Patrick, you should look into that. If that if that's the case, you really should because that would well, be and a big deal. And also, deal. you're eliminating risk, right? Yes. So it's like, do you do you gain anything by putting your name and nationality on it? Maybe you know, possibly not. Like, if you think that you by some percentage increase your chance of being successful by not doing that, you know, as you know, if that's your livelihood or you want it to be your livelihood, I can understand, you know, being risk averse and doing the thing that's going to uh, hopefully increase your chances of uh, being successful. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough one. So uh, thanks to Santiago for, yeah, good question. Like, difficult question. That's what I want. I want the questions that make me go like, oh, shit, I don't have an easy answer for this. We're going to have to I talk. Don't, I know. As you were reading that question, I had a sense of dread the entire time. <laughs> I was like, listen, but that's that's the thing. It's like, I want to talk it out. Like, I can I can look at questions I have the answers to all day alone. True. Like, I don't need, I don't, yeah, okay, yeah, good answer. I email you back real quick. You know, done. Right, but, like, is Dark Souls better than Dark Souls 2? Like, ah, it's Dark Souls. Like, we all know the answer okay, to that. Okay, well, now we're going to have to hang up. We're going to have to come to the end of this podcast. <laughs> This is, we will have to hash that out at some point. That at is, some that, point. That, you know, some slow week where that's just going to be the whole podcast. It's going to be. We'll have to have a Dark Souls week that's dedicated to this question. It'll be two podcasts. The first. Hey, we'll wait. We're going to have. We'll to, wait until the, dark, the DLC comes out at the end of October. We're, we're perfectly timed. Yes. For Dark Souls content. Yes. Yes. Good. That's it. I'm going to. I'm going to get content in once per podcast. God damn it. We still don't have a name, and someone suggested the content, which is just it's like very funny. It's I, I tried good. to scroll through our Discord chat and find the bit where we said, "Never, ever, ever publish anything that says the word content in it." So, welcome to the content. Welcome the to discourse. the content. Oh, the discourse! Fuck no, we can't. It's too much. Thanks. The to- content presents the discourse. God. I, you, I think this is it. I think the content presents the discourse is where we have to fade out. Uh, thanks so much to Bowen again for letting us use his track Miss You off of his EP Pale Machine. Bowen is at uh, bo-n.info bo-en.info and I think he's at Bowen Yeah on, on Twitter which is a good Twitter handle. I'm, I'm finding that. Yeah, I'm that's... Finding uh, out. that's- if that's true. Yes. Oh. Bowen, yeah. B-O-E-N-Y-E-A-H. So check that out. Thanks again for him. Patrick, uh, what are you doing this weekend? This weekend? Um, I need to get a light for this room that I record in. I'm in the downstairs of You're, my house, hmm. and, and when it's it's cloudy out, I, I, I feel like I'm in a bunker. Yeah. There's no light in this You're room. podcasting in the dark. I'm pa- podcasting from a bunker. We, I, we couldn't be any other way. I'm happy. I'm happy I'm gonna, with it. Here it is. I think this week I'm going to be playing uh, uh, Quantum Break, uh, probably checking out some Gears of War 4, um, and uh, getting ready. Actually, you know, if there are fewer articles on the site in the next few weeks, it's because we're kind of getting things in a mode to get ready for, you know, our... our our revamp, our, our relaunch. Yeah. Uh, we're getting a lot of stuff ready for that. So uh, there's still plenty of stuff going up on, on vice.com slash gaming. But uh, also keep in mind that, you know, we're, we're trying to trying to channel things for for uh, for later for on. For the future. Speaking the of the future, future I think I'm going to go into the virtual world over the weekend. Oh, yeah. You got that PlayStation VR. I got a PlayStation VR. I have not had the time to really spend any time with it. And I think I'm not allowed to talk about it anyway. Uh, <laughs> you could say you have it. And I think, uh, I think people it. are doing unboxing videos. That unboxing is good. It's a good box. I don't. I like. I'm not a. I'm not normally someone who's like, oh yeah, good, good box. Yeah, good box. They did a good job. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that's uh, what I'm gonna I do. Guess that's probably a podcast, huh? Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's a podcast. Y'all let us know what you're doing uh, on Twitter or something. You know, I'm at Austin underscore Walker. Tell us what you're doing on the weekend. Patrick, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at Patrick Klubik. Oh, also, we didn't mention where people can send new questions. Oh, you're right. It's gaming at vice.com. 
gamingadvice.com. Send questions. Do they have to put a they have to put a, a subject header? Yeah, so it should be works? it should be question because otherwise my or questions, but question would be ideal. My filter will catch it, and that way my whole inbox won't just be just these <laughs> questions. Thank you so much, Patrick, for joining me again. Of course, can't wait to talk to you on Monday and see and see how that weekend went. We still don't know how to throw. We don't know how to end a podcast. It's impossible. No. This is how does Vinny do it? How does Brad do know. it? This is I the worst. Know. If we just complain about it every time, then that can be how we go out. <laughs> yeah. At some point, we'll have a whole podcast about some grievances. And... Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Donuts. Sounds good. Peace, Internet. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.